We are going to be diving now uh, into our series, our last week of this series called Essential. And the whole idea of this series is how, how we distinguish between the things in life that compete for our attention, that compete, uh, uh, kind of can almost fill up our lives at times, and how do we determine that which is essential, which will produce the greatest meaning and joy and all, all that life should be. You know, I've been watching, uh, I'm sure some of you uh, here have been watching uh, Lego Masters. Do we have anybody watching Lego Masters? You know, hand, hands up. We got a, got a few, I'm sure quite a few around there. Now, one of the things about Lego Masters, if you haven't seen it every week, they have these different challenges that they have to uh, build and the different teams do. If you've never seen it, it's like MasterChef with Lego. And so uh, it's stuff like that. I don't know. I've never really watched MasterChef, but I can only assume there's a team the other week, uh, and there's this team, Stani and Jay. And uh, if you've watched it, they were one of my favorite teams. I really liked Stani and Jay a lot. I was cheering for them to go kind of all the way. And the challenge uh, uh, last weekend was you had to build 3D art. And so that was the challenge. That it's got to be three-dimensional art. They gave a poster frame. you got to build three-dimensional art. And some of the teams, some of them built like kind of like this one built like a cowboy painting on, and the, the bull was like coming out of the painting and the cowboy was riding it. And, uh, and so there was all these 3D things. Now, Stani and Jay built this piece of art. It was phenomenal. In fact, I think I've got a photo here. If you didn't see it, they did this scene. Uh, hopefully you can have a look at that. But the scene was like this New York scene of this couple and they're falling in love. And they, they built it so intricately to, to, to kind of create this look of shadows and they, they use like, I mean, an unbelievable kind of technique in building it. And everything about it, it looked like you could hang it in a museum. And, and the judge even talked about the incredible techniques that were used. It was incredible what they produced. But once they got to the final judging moment, the judge said, but for all you did, Brickman said this. And to be honest, I'm a little questioning some of his judgments lately. But anyway, that's another story. But Brickman looked and he said, but here's the problem. It was so amazing and such good technique. And you did all this great stuff, except that the idea was it was three-dimensional art. It was supposed to be coming out of the scene. And Stani and Jay were sent home, dagger through my heart. To be honest, their undoing might have been the fact that I was cheering for them. Teams I like have a tendency to kind of go that way. But but it's just one of those moments where judge like, look, it's great. You did everything great, great technique. You did all this stuff, incredible building. But there was one thing that was essential. And that was that it come out of the picture in a three-dimensional way. And they said it didn't really matter at the end of the day, all the other great things they did. Now, this is the idea of essential is about going, how do we make sure we don't miss the one thing that is always essential? And today, as we kind of wrap this series up, we're going to be looking at this story Jesus told that is trying to help us understand what is essential. In fact, he's going to tell us a story that's all about this guy who gets all the way to the end of his life, only to realize, only to find out that what he had thought was essential, he had missed it. So here's the story. I'm going to check this out. It comes in Luke chapter 12. Verse 13, Jesus is teaching. He's in a crowd. He's on a roll. People are loving what he has to say. People are asking questions, talking to him, engaging with him. And, uh, and it says this, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So here's kind of a little backdrop. We've obviously got these brothers. It would appear their parents are now gone. The inheritance has been left. 
And the younger brother probably is going, hey, tell my older brother to divide it with me, you know? This is what should happen. Maybe he's been negotiating. It's not been going well. And so he's like, oh, as Jesus. Maybe he could kind of tell my brother what to do and then I'll uh, get the inheritance I deserve. But Jesus replied, man, I love that. I always imagine this how he says. He's like, man, who, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, so here's this guy. He's like, Jesus, come on, help me out, help me out. Tell him what to do. Tell him to split the inheritance with me. And Jesus is like, oh, oh, oh hold on. Who, who appointed me judge? Why are you coming to me? And instead he says, I'm going to use this as a teaching moment. And I want everybody now, you're going to listen. This guy's probably like, why, why, why did I ask? Why did I ask? For Jesus is like, I'm going to make this teaching moment. He says, look, to everybody, watch out, watch out, watch out. Here, something critical, something important. Watch out. Be careful on this one. He says, be on your guard. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus says, hold up, everybody. I want you to see something. There's a conflict going on. There's broken relationship here and all. And this guy is wanting just kind of more of his share of the inheritance. Jesus says, there's something that's being missed here. And he says, I want you to, to be on your guard against something because here is something. When he says, watch out, be on your guard, it's like he's going, there, there, there's, this thing will sneak up on you. This thing will creep up on you. This is something if you are not careful, you will miss. And he says this, you've got to understand that life is not found in. Life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. You know, this is a message that Jesus is going to want to get across to us. And, and kind of the, the theme of it is where do we look for life? Where, where do we find life? Now, the word here for life is this Greek word zoe. There's two words in Greek that both can mean life. One is bios. Bios is the word we get biology from. So bios means, you know, it's alive, it's living. You know, the plant can have, a plant has bios. Not a plant necessarily in my life. I'm not good at helping plants keep their bios. But bios is just like, yeah, it's alive. And then there's this other Greek word, and that word is zoe. And this is not about just is something alive, but it is about the quality of life. You see, Zoe life that Jesus talks about here, he's talking about, this is the same word when Jesus says, I have come that people might have life. They might have Zoe and have it to the full or have it abundantly. Jesus is talking about the idea that our lives should have Zoe. We should be more than just alive and breathing life we're meant to have. And as humans, we cry out for and want Zoe. We want this idea that life is, it's more than just being alive. It's a quality of life. It's love. It's peace. It's hope. It's purpose. It's, it's meaning. It's just, it's life. And Jesus says, you better watch out because you need to know that that life, Zoe life, does not come from an abundance of possessions. He says, watch out because as humans, we get caught up in this trap of always thinking, if I had that, if I had that, if I had that, then I would have that thing I'm looking for. You know, I remember watching a car advertisement one day, it came on the TV. It was one of the advertisements where you don't even see a car until like maybe at the very end, you, you can't even kind of figure out what the ad is for. I was watching with Levi, my son, he's nine and he's like, you know what? And, and there was one of those ads where it looked more like kind of maybe like a James Bond movie or something, only James Bond keeps ending up in a nightclub. I don't know. And, he, and so he's kind of all these scenes were flicking. I don't remember it exactly, but I remember Levi going, what is this a commercial for? And I was like, well, it's a commercial for this car. And he's like, why would you have 
Like, like why, then why are they showing people dancing? It's for a car. Why, why are people dancing? And I was like, well, I guess they want us to assume that if only we had that car, then we could have that life. And this is life as we know it. We are constantly being told if we had a certain possession. Now, Jesus says, watch out for all kinds of greed. Greed is not, this is not a, a, a teaching. Jesus is not about whether we should have things or not. But this is about the idea of greed. And that greed is this sense that's always like, if I had more, then I'd have life. If I had that thing, if I had that achievement, if I had that relationship, I think that all kinds of greed Jesus is getting is just that compulsion inside us that thinks, if only I had that. But Jesus wants us to understand this, he says, and this is our theme today, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. I think every commercial should have to come with a tagline at the end that just says, you know, note to the buyer, life will not consist in the abundance of possessions. We could probably do well to repeat this to ourselves several times a day. We do well to have this written somewhere. Because what happens is when we get caught up thinking, if I had that, whatever that is, we're falling into the trap Jesus is talking about, which is we start to think Zoe is going to be found somewhere else, something else, something more than what we have. And so Jesus goes on, he says, look, just to make sure, just to make sure we get this, he says, let me tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story so you, you get the picture. He's turning the crowd. And, you know, and again, the guy who's like, hey, Jesus, he's probably, um, why, why, why did I bring this up? Should have waited for a private moment. And Jesus tells this story. He says, he tells him a parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He's just like, it's just all come in. And he just doesn't even have enough room for everything that's come in. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God, but God, these are probably two of the most important words for us to always be mindful of. But God, God, God said to him, and this is not what you want God to say to you. He said, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And then Jesus says, this is how it will be with everyone and anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, this story is such a, uh, and it's important to remember, this is a story. Jesus is telling the story because he wants to make, he wants us to understand something. He wants us to get something about how life works. And so he tells the story, and we call it sometimes the story of the, the rich fool. Now, I want to be clear at the outset, this story is not a story about uh, whether it's good or bad to be rich. Now, if you are watching this and hearing this, by, by default, you are virtually among some of the richest people who've ever lived. Now, we don't always think that because we compare ourselves to, you know, different people and places and think, well, that's what rich looks like. The reality is if, if, if you have a refrigerator that you use, you've got, you know, riches that people in Jesus' day couldn't have imagined. Like, this is not a story about is it good or bad to be rich. This is a story about how and what will you do 
with, with what this one life you've been given. And in many ways, for many of us, we really have to think about this with the riches that we have been given, the time in history that we were born into. And Jesus says that here's, here's what it looks like. He says, what, here's the problem. He says the real problem for this, this rich man was that he thought his life, he thought Zoe was going to be found in just having more and in storing it all up and being able to eat, drink, and be merry and take life easy. That's what this guy thought. But at the very end, God comes and God says, you fool, like you missed it. And God says, this very night, your life will be demanded. And then who's going to get all this stuff? Now, here's what this story is about. This is all about the reality that what is essential in life is one thing. And it's your soul. You see, a lot of the translations, like the one we are today, it talks about self. But the word that occurs in the Greek over and over here is suke, which is the word from which we get soul. And your soul is your inner being. It's the you that is really you. It's your deepest self. It's the, the you that will, you know, go on long after your, your body has quit working, your soul. It's, it's who you are. And Jesus is going to try and show him that what was essential all along was your soul. But some things went wrong with this rich man that, that he missed it. And he gets all the way to the end and God comes and it's like, and God's like, you missed it. You missed what the whole thing was about. And Jesus tells us to, to try and help us to understand that, you know what, what would be the worst thing that could happen for any of us is that we could go through life and we could gain the world but lose our soul. You know, Jim Carrey has this famous quote where he once said, I wish everybody could get rich and famous beyond their wildest dreams. He says, so that they could see that that's not the answer. The kind of wisdom that's only gained by someone who actually did experience all that. Some of us can still live with the illusion that if only, but this passage is here to say, don't live with that illusion. You know, I, I think this is a, a passage that if we were to engage with it, I mean, really engage with it. Daily going, what is my life actually about? Oh yeah, let me remember. It's not about more. It's not about the abundance of my possessions. It's about my soul. That's where a life of Zoe comes from. You know, it's possible to be uh, young and vibrant and have all the bios in the world. It's possible to be wealthy and famous is what Jim Carrey's getting. It's possible to have all this bios going on and have no Zoe. And it's possible to be old and, and to have a body that's breaking down. It's possible to be facing challenges to your bios all around and yet have Zoe. But the way we find it, the way we find that Zoe is when we can live into the reality that life is about our soul. That's where Zoe is found. It's found in the soul. It's not found in our stuff. This is one of those messages like your soul is what is essential. Your stuff does not matter. This is what Jesus would say to us. Now, the, the challenge for all of us is how do we then 
If you find yourself going, but I want that. I want to live, I want to live in such a way that, that actually I'm caring for my soul more than I'm caring for my stuff. You see this passage again. It's not about should you have enough. The, the guy in the story, the rich man, he started off rich. That wasn't the problem of his life. The problem was where he thought life was going to be found. The problem was all his stuff took precedence over his soul. Your soul, that is what is essential. And I think in this story, we can get some glimpses of how then, how then do we live? How then do we avoid this tragic story? Because this is what it's meant to be, a tragic story that someone could go through life and never realize that the only thing that mattered was their soul. How do we miss it? Well, you know, I want you to see a, a couple of things about this particular man in the story that I think should, can point us towards. Here's, here's what's important for your soul. Here's what will help you have a healthy soul. Here's where you need to start if you want to begin to consider the health of your soul. Do you know what was a challenge and what was the first danger for this particular rich man? It's that he was all alone. He was isolated. Do you know being isolated and on your own it's not good for the soul. Now, a lot of us are having to live with a bit of more of isolation, obviously, in different places of the world, even more and more isolation. The idea here is, and we've got to do that right now, and people are having to kind of isolate from one another to be physically healthy, but the kind of isolation this is talking about is not about physical distance and proximity. It's about what happens when you start to just think to yourself and not be connecting to other people. You see, it doesn't sound so strange to us, but the first thing this guy says is, he's, he's rich. It's like he just won the lotto. Like the Powerball came in, it, it, the, the, all his crops, more than he could have imagined. He just hit it big. It all came in. And the first thing he does is he thinks to himself. He starts to only, now we think, well, that's normal. It's his money, right? Of course he's thinking to himself what to do with it. Can I tell you in Jesus' day, everyone who heard this, because they lived in a much different culture than we do, a more communally orientated culture, everyone who heard it would have been like, whoa, whoa, why is he just thinking to himself? In their day, the, the people of influence and wisdom, they would gather at the city gate, they would talk, they would discuss, they would debate. A lot of the people listening probably would have thought, why didn't he go to the city gate? Why isn't he talking to some people? Do you know what? One of the, the first steps that takes you down a road that is not good for the soul is to isolate yourself from people. And when I say isolate, I don't mean stay physically distant. I mean not sharing with people what's going on in your heart and your soul. The more we do that, the more we just think to ourselves, make our own plans, the more we cut ourselves off. Nowhere in this whole story does he talk to anybody. He only thinks to himself. And this is a story that says, that is, a, that is a foolish way to live because every decision we make impacts on other people. Do you know the, the thing about this man is he becomes isolated from other people. I want to encourage you, if you want an antidote to this in your life, here is, here is the antidote to, to missing this particular thing is to actually be a person who reaches out to other people, who begins to engage other people. When you have an idea, a thought, I remember hearing several years ago that one of the best things you can do when you start to, you know, and I was kind of new in leadership. And at some point I heard this, like, 
don't just sit there planning stuff on your own. Talk to other people. Get some wisdom. Get some insight. And I realize that it's always better to engage other people when I have a thought and say, hey, I'm thinking this. So somebody can tell me early on, hey, that's maybe not a great idea. Okay, great, good, thank you. And actually there's wisdom in that. Or whatever the case may be, we do well when we engage other people. You know, in a church community and context, you do well when you join in with other believers and say, hey, let me talk to you about what's going on in my heart and my soul. That is what leads to a healthy soul. Friends, mentors, family, you don't have to be an extrovert when we think, oh, extrovert. No, this is just about engage other people with what's going on in your soul. You know, the second thing this guy gets isolated from is he's isolated from who God is. In the whole story, this man never says, God, what should I do with this crop, this harvest, this, this you know, it's all come through. He only thinks to himself, and you know what he says? He says, what should I do with my my harvest. He th and then he says, and here's what I'll do with my barns. And you get this picture, the God's probably looking at him like, yeah, really, your harvest, hi? Huh? Yeah, hey, um, Mr. Rich Farmer, great harvest. That's awesome, pretty excited about it. Was that your idea to do the whole kind of have soil thing? Did you kind of work out how to get all of the, you know, the DNA that needed to be in the, or whatever it is, into the seed that, so that this tiny seed could go in the ground? Hey, great job on the rain. Well done, kind of queuing up the rain when it needed to fall and, and having the sun shining. Great job, Mr. Farmer, with all your photosynthesis work. I love that. I think God's just laughing. I'm like, your crop, really? Is that how it works? Do you know what I love about this? You know, this man, here's, here's where we start to get a little lost in our soul is when we get isolated from God and from who he is. You know, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Do you know when we recognize that the whole world is God's, it's his dirt, it's his soil, it's his sun, it's his rain, it's your world, God, I'm just living in it. The more we live like that, actually, the more we're able to, to live with humility, to live with gratitude, Instead of thinking, what am I going to do with all my stuff? Then, because I'm going to tell you something, the more we live for self and thinking, what will I do with myself? Self, self, self. That is what's no good for the soul. But when we actually go, no, God, this is your world. I'm living in it. And engage him and say, God, what would you have me do with these things? Then we realize that what matters more than, than the crop and the harvest and the bigger barns and all the stuff is simply, God, how am I connected to you? How am I listening to your voice? How am I going, what's going to matter more than can I take life easy is, God, what will this do to my soul? And what would you have me do with what you've placed in my hands? You see, that last thing that he gets cut off from as well is he says, I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm just going to relax. Like, finally, I've got enough. I could retire early. And in that space, you know what he's done is he's cut himself off from the very purpose for which he's created. Do you know as human beings, Zoe and life and a full life, it doesn't consist in building a great sort of individual life for myself where I could eat, drink, and be merry. That's not what we were created for. We were created to love God and to love other people. We're meant to realize that everything we do affects everyone else. We are meant to realize that life is not about how can I get more stuff. 
But what if, what if this man had actually gone to the town gate and said, hey, everybody, I got, a, I got a whole bunch of crop. It just came in. What should I do with it? I'm already rich. I'm already, it's not that I need this food for me to live. What should I do with this? I've been thinking maybe I should just store it all up and I'm just going to chill and kind of ride this thing out. Maybe some of those wise people might have said, hey, do you know what? Maybe there's a way we could leverage this on behalf of others. Maybe there's something else we could do here. Maybe what's happened to you, God has a purpose for it. And maybe that could have helped him go, wait a second. Yeah, maybe that's actually, what's this going to do to my soul? Can I tell you something? The more we live for self and say, I can store it all up for me. We might have a great bios, but it is, oh, it's no good for the soul. And so into that moment, Jesus says, but God, God comes to him because here's the final. This is the clincher. This is the end of that story. God comes to him and says, not, and says you, you missed it. You, you just thought more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. And God comes and says, no, only one thing was essential and it's your soul. And God says, this very life, it's going to be demanded of you. Do you know the picture here is it's like God's coming and saying, your soul is not your own. Not only are the crops mine, not only is the dirt mine, not only was the sun mine, your soul was mine. I loaned it to you. You know, the scriptures talk about how when God created humanity, he breathed life into us. He breathed, he gave us a soul, he made us alive and we are not our own. And it's like God's going, your very life was a gift and it was on loan to you. And there's only one thing it was meant for. And you, have, and you have missed it. Because that one thing was that the soul is meant to be connected to God and who he is. And out of the fullness of that place, out of that zoe, to love him and to love others. And to let your life be a force for, for his good and his kingdom in this world. That's what's essential. Not your stuff, but your soul. You know, today I, I just want to, you know, I want to encourage you just to maybe reflect a bit on Jesus' words here. Everybody watching this, listening to this, you'll, you'll be coming from different, uh, different journeys of life and faith and, and all kinds of things. But the beauty of this story, and I invite you to go back to it, read it, dive into it, pray about it. Ask God this question, God, what do you want me to do with my one life? What do you want me to do with my stuff? I know it's not mine. What do you want me to, to do with my time and my energy and my talents? God, how can I live not thinking it's all mine? But how can I recognize, God, my very soul is a gift from you? And what will matter most at the end of my life, whether short time or long, is what have I done with this soul? I want to encourage you to make that the, the, the essential thing in your life. You know, I saw this uh, video. Some of you might have seen it. And it's called The Great Realization. This guy in England, he wrote this poem about what's happening right now. And he wrote it in the form of like a bedtime story uh, to his kids. And... And in the story, he talks to them and he's, he's writing it as if it's in the future and he's reflecting back to this year 2020 and, and how the whole world, in the midst of what was a very difficult and a very painful time for so many, but how in the midst of it, it forced humanity to stop and to rethink what we were moving towards. And he calls in his poem, looking back at 2020, this idea that maybe this will be what is, he calls it the great realization. 
What if we're living at a moment in history? What if you're at a moment in your life where there could be a great realization? I think it's what Jesus had in mind at this, that he wanted people to have this realization that sometimes we're moving so fast and we're doing so much and we get so caught up in all kinds of stuff. And Jesus wants to have this realization that it's all about God. It's about your soul. Life's not about all the stuff and about where we're going and what we're doing and accomplishing, but rather life is about, is about understanding your soul is a gift from God. And that when you connect your soul back to God, that that is where you find life, Zoe. And the more we connect ourselves to God, and say, God, I recognize it's not about stuff. It's about my soul. That is where Zoe comes from. That's where the life that everybody's chasing and running so hard after comes from. And it's never going to come from more, more, more. It comes from recognizing that our soul is a gift from God. And he wants to meet us in that place. And he wants our soul to become a well of life as he, he takes up residence in our soul. He wants it to become like a life-giving force in this world. You know, I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. Even as we wrap up this essential series, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. And no matter who we are, where we come from, the simplicity of this prayer is just to just declare God. And anybody, anywhere can turn and say, God, I recognize life is not about me and my stuff. Life is about you. And God, I give you my soul. And I pray that you will help me to live out of relationship with you, the one thing that matters most. And that you will lead me into a life where I will not get caught up on all these other trivial many things, but rather, God, you would lead me to a place where I can live towards that which is essential. Towards you, God, and how I will love you and love others in this world. You know, if you want to join me in this prayer, I invite you just to maybe take a moment, close your eyes right where you are. And what I'm going to pray is just that you would experience a greater and deeper and fuller connection from your soul with the living God. His life, his Zoe will come to be present in a greater way in your soul. Would you pray with me for a moment? Just close your eyes right where you are. If you want, you can kind of open your hands right where you are. It's a way of just offering your life and yourself to God. God, I want to pray for every person who sits before you today, wherever they are, that God in this moment, as they declare in their own heart, in their own spirit, in their inner being, as they declare, I want my life to be about God. I pray that God, you would meet them in their soul, in their inner being. I pray that you would pour out Zoe life into their soul. I pray that God, your spirit would take up residence in a greater, deeper, richer, fuller way in their life, in their soul. And I pray that God, out of that fullness of that place, I pray that they would be a force to bring your life and goodness into this world in a greater way. So God, I trust that you're at work in each person's life. And I pray that even now you'd be healing souls. You'd be, uh, you'd be bringing healing to some of the places that need healing. You'll be bringing abundance to some of the places that, that are, are ready for your abundance in their life. And I pray that God, you would just be pouring out 
pour out clarity. God, let us not be distracted. Help us to be on our guard. God, I pray you would give people a capacity to be on their guard against the lies that would take us in other directions. So God, I pray in this moment, bring that abundant life to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.